You're listening to the Branches HB Podcast. Let's open up here to Matthew chapter 16 with me, if you will. Just like I said last week, I don't have to do all this work searching the scriptures, something that's going to be compelling or interesting. I got to dress it up. We can literally work through the gospel of Matthew. And there's so many beautiful, amazing, challenging, transforming truths that we're going to see come out of our study together. Just following up from Matthew chapter 15 last week, setting up this week, we saw this global mission that Jesus was going to go about. It was basically announced through this episode of seeing the great faith of this Canaanite woman. So what we found in that episode was that, you know, Jesus' ministry of mercy and grace, the the satisfaction that he's going to bring to people, it wasn't just for the Jews. It was going to be for all the people that would receive him. Good news for you and I if if we're not, you know, ethnically Jewish. Uh, And uh, what we found is that was a great reception, a warm reception, all this love from the historical enemies of God on that eastern shore of Galilee. And now he's going to move back into Jewish lands and he finds the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the same old tactics of demean and destroy in his home territory and no less. And then we're also going to get a warning on the other side of that episode for us as followers of Jesus regarding that mindset the sort of way that they were going about their spiritual journey. Let's read together. Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 1. The Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him a sign from heaven. He replied, When evening comes, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, today it will be stormy, for the sky is red overcast. I'm going to switch microphones right here. We don't need it cutting out. I'm reading the scriptures. I can't let the microphone cut out. It's worth more than that. It can cut out for me, but not the scripture reading here. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Jesus then left them and went away. When they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. Be careful, Jesus said to them, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They discussed this among themselves and said, it is because we didn't bring any bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, you of little faith, why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? How is it you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread, but be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees? Then they understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Oh my goodness, wow, what a discovery, what an unearthing of knowledge here. But that's what's going to happen for us this morning as well. I mean, we're going to go through this soon. We're going to see just what this means that we're to be on guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. But like I said, setting up the context here in Matthew chapter 16, the last verse of chapter 15 mentions that Jesus had landed back in Jewish land and he's approached by an unlikely alliance. These Pharisees and Sadducees coming together against 
Jesus. Now, this was an unlikely alliance because here are two very influential groups in the Jewish religion and in Jewish society at this time, the Sadducees and Pharisees. But they were ideologically opposed. They were theologically opposed in a variety of different ways. For one, the Sadducees only hold to the Torah. They only held to the first five books of the Bible as authoritative, where the Pharisees added in the prophets and the rabbinical writings. The Sadducees, they didn't believe in the supernatural. They didn't believe in angels or demons. They didn't believe in spirits. But the Pharisees, they were very much engaged with the supernatural, and they were staunchly believing in the resurrection of the dead. The Sadducees were sort of the aristocrats of Jewish society. They were like old money is what you would call it. You know, trust fund kids, basically. It was all handed down to them, and they had a pretty good gig. They were connected with a lot of the Roman authorities. You know, it was a mutually beneficial relationship. Bless you, Mark. The Pharisees, on the other hand, they were from among the common people. These are folks that they didn't want to, you know, play nice with the Romans. They wanted Jewish independence for themselves. You've got these two diametrically opposed groups that are allies with each other against Jesus. This would be like, you know, in our modern day, the left and the right coming together. Progressives and conservatives, the woke and the fundamentalists. Could you ever imagine that? Could anything unite the left and the right? Who could unite these opposing groups? Well, it's Jesus. Not because they're on the same team, but because they have a common enemy in him. He would cut through the high class and rational faithlessness of the Sadducees. And he challenged the ethical hypocrisy and the love of tradition that the Pharisees stood for. So he cut this narrow path, Jesus did, through a polarized world. And the weight of all that division and all those ideas was falling squarely on his shoulders. So the Pharisees and Sadducees are here, and they're here to test Jesus. And this is a similar test to what they brought in the past. In Matthew chapter 12, you may remember, if you were following along, they ask her this same thing, a sign from heaven, and Jesus gives partly the same answer. So this tells you, this was something that was happening quite often. And they're asking for this sign from heaven, a place of skepticism. Okay, they're coming from a very different place than sort of the helpless masses that have been asking for healing and freedom from demonic possession. You know, those, those masses are crying out. You know, they need grace. They need mercy. These folks are coming to Jesus like they're interviewing him for the job of Messiah. They're acting like these smug judges who are on the hiring panel. Like, Jesus, perform this sign and then we'll tell you whether or not you actually will fit this role that we have created in our society. And Jesus Play to it. He doesn't need their approval. He doesn't need the influencers of his day to speak on his behalf. They have no right to be a judge over his credentials. They can discern the signs in the sky regarding the weather, but they're blind as bats when it comes to seeing things from a spiritual perspective. And Jesus serves it up. He says, look, what you guys are asking for, it's akin to a wicked and adulterous generation. A wicked an adulterous generation is one that seeks a sign. You guys are coming here and you want to be depressed. You want your eyebrows to be raised. You know, you want your pulse to quicken a little bit. You want some spiritual crack cocaine. You want a little bit of religious adrenaline shot in you. That's what you're looking for. You're looking for me to do something for you. But guess what? After you're done with me, what I can do for you, you'll be right on to the next spiritual trap house. Be the next experience after the next, next experience. If we seek the sun, if we seek Jesus, we'll see the signs. 
We'll see the authenticating signs. But if we seek the signs, we'll just keep seeking and seeking and seeking and seeking. Take that to heart. If you seek the Son, you will see the signs. You'll see the authenticating signs of Jesus. But if you seek the signs, you're just going to keep moving from experience to experience, seeking and seeking and seeking. They're not going to get a sign except the sign of Jonah, which some interpret to be Jesus' resurrection from the dead, similar to how Jonah was in you know, the belly of the whale. He's you know, spit out. Jesus is going to rise from the belly of the earth. And that may be a proper interpretation. But I think this sign of Jonah is more akin to the message of Jesus because Jonah was sent with this message to this wicked town of foreigners and he didn't give any authenticating miracles. He just gave the message, repent or God is going to judge you as a nation. And they said, let's change. But this generation, they got more than Jonah. One greater than Jonah is here. He's working all kinds of signs and wonders and bearing that message and yet they still won't change. After that altercation, Jesus and his disciples, they go lake hopping yet again. They keep hopping, you know, to the sides of the lake. And the disciples are hapless little friends. They forgot to pack the picnic. They forgot to pack the picnic. And Jesus isn't thinking about that, right? He's stressing something very important about this altercation that he just had with the Pharisees and Sadducees. He says, beware of the yeast. Be on guard. Be careful of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. But the disciples are clearly confused. They're demoralized and embarrassed. And they're commiserating with each other while Jesus is talking. And you can sense this. Is Jesus mad at us because we forgot the bread? And I love how this happens. It can happen in Christian community where brothers and sisters and disciples of Jesus, we get together and we craft kind of skewed narratives about what God is doing. And we can kind of be the blind leading the blind at times. Like I sort of imagine them going, hey, you know, Peter, did you bring the bread? No, I didn't bring the bread. That was your job. Your job was to bring the bread. Well, did you just hear what Jesus was saying? He's mad about the bread, guys. And I can just see them, you know, going deeper and deeper down that rabbit trail. And Jesus says, you knuckleheads. That's at least my interpretation. I don't think it's what it actually says. No, it says you have little faith. And this is, you know, a juxtaposition right against the great faith of the Canaanite woman in the passage we just studied. You of little faith. Have you forgot what happened in Matthew chapter 14, two chapters ago? Their life wasn't laid out in chapters, but, you know, recently, did you forget what happened in Matthew chapter 15? In both situations, I fed the thousands I handled the whole bread thing. Why are you guys so worried about bread? Why are you so worried about bread? Jesus then clarifies that his warning is regarding the metaphorical yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Whoa, okay. And you just sense their minds blown. Oh, it's a metaphor. And then they begin to realize Jesus is referring to the influence and teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Let's dwell on this for a moment because I think leaven, yeast, is a really interesting metaphor for corrupting influence. You guys know how yeast works in dough? How leaven works in dough? I know some of you, you're bakers by nature. Others of you, you took it up during COVID. You got on the sourdough craze. Yeah, some of you started trying your hand at it. So you may know. Others of you don't. 
You use a leaven, something like yeast. Yeast is alive, and you place it into dough, and the yeast eats all the sugars, and it releases carbon dioxide, and that fills all the air pockets in a lump of dough until that dough rises into a loaf of bread. Okay, very interesting, right? Well, Jesus is saying essentially through this metaphor, a little bit of false teaching, false understandings, spiritual lies, that can work its way through a person. It can fill in all the air gaps, the spaces in someone's heart and mind, and it can utterly transform them. The same way yeast transforms a lump of dough into this completely different thing, false teaching, false ideas can utterly transform a whole person. And I think another very important part of the metaphor is that it doesn't take a whole lot of yeast. It doesn't take a lot of leaven to transform that person. In fact, if you were making you know, a, a loaf of bread and you're taking 500 grams of dough, you know, it's a little bit over a pound, you only need 2.5 grams of yeast. You only need 0.5% of the total weight in yeast of that dough to see it work its way through the entire loaf of bread. So it just takes a pinch. It just takes a dash. It doesn't take all that much for that transforming poison of false teaching to utterly transform someone and inflate them into a completely different person. That's why Jesus packages this statement with the be careful. You got to watch out. A little bit goes a long way. You got to be careful because just a little bit of that overly rational mindset of the Sadducees can make you begin to think that the gospel has no power in it. Just a little bit of that rational mindset, a little bit too much, a little bit too much of that self-righteousness of the Pharisees. And you can begin to love the way you love God more than love God. You can begin to love your traditions, the way you go about serving God, more than God himself. A little bit will go a long way in transforming you. And I've watched this happen to many, just a pinch, just a few seeds, and their soul was soured. Their love grew cold. Their vision of God's kingdom shrunk down to the size of that 10 by 10 underground bunker that they were planning to build for themselves and their family out in the middle of nowhere because of their fears concerning this world. Like that's how big their kingdom vision got, or rather how small it shrunk down to. Be on your guard. Don't think it can't happen to you. Don't think we don't all have those spaces and those gaps in our hearts and minds that can be exploited by a stranger's voice that masks itself for Jesus. Thinking about this, it led me to consider like those TV specials and those exposés on cults. You know, because in the setting of a cult, and with a cult leader, you have somebody who can take the yeast of ideas and work them through a person to gain control of a person and multiple people. And I think to myself, how do cults actually recruit people? Average people, regular people, smart people. How do they recruit them and how do they keep their membership? Well, doing some research, you can see that there's actually some themes that come out of all the cults that we've been able to study, all the cults that currently exist in the world right now. For one, cults and cult leaders often play to the human desire for absolute answers and absolute certainty. They will say, we have all the answers. You don't need to think anymore. You don't need to have any more questions. 
Because there's that human instinct, there's that human desire, there's so many unknowns, there's so many things we can't control, we want to know it all. We want to have all the answers. And so someone comes along and goes, I got them. I figured it all out. And we're comforted by that. We want those voices in our lives. Cult leaders and cults often create an us versus them mentality. One of the easiest ways to strengthen your group dynamic is to identify your enemy. It brought the Pharisees and Sadducees together, right? These two completely opposed groups of people, they had a common enemy, and that brought them together as a group. It's a lot of time cults. That's what they'll do. They'll set up all these different enemies so you get more solidified in the group. And that's where the brainwashing happens. The falsehoods are repeated over and over and over and over again. And as you're cloistered more and more off away from the world, the paranoia starts. Where they begin to seed into you this idea that all the forces of the universe are working against us as a group of people. And this is your only safe harbor. It's a prison. It's a prison without any physical bars. It's a prison of the heart and the mind. In a famous example of the power of cults, you have the Jamestown Massacre. It happened on November 18th, 1978. Hundreds of people uh, willingly drank cyanide alongside their leader, Jim Jones, and they fed it to their children. 900 people died. And how could this happen? It's because the human heart and mind has gaps. It has spaces that people will use to exploit for their own benefit. That's an extreme example, but these cult-like qualities and traits have flourished in the last couple of years, and there's a lot of yeast, and there's a lot of false teaching that's flying around in our world today. Jesus has nothing in common with these voices. That's what I want to encourage you with this morning. He doesn't use any of these tactics. Okay, Jesus invites us onto a journey of faith and trust in him, not a journey of absolute answers and certainties. I'm sorry to say, there are some things that we are called to have confidence in. We have beliefs. We're told to have confidence in the resurrection of Jesus, his work upon the cross, the eternity of his kingdom that we're being welcomed into. I mean, that's just the basis of our understanding and our faith, our beliefs, but as far as spelling out all the specifics of what's going to happen in our day and age in 2021 and 2022, everything that's going to happen with your life, there's a lot of questions. And that's supposed to lead us to a place of de dependence, trust, faith. He doesn't give us all the answers on purpose so that we grow with him. You know, there will be pastors and there will be so-called prophets who come along and say, I got the Bible decoder tool out. And I figured it all out, guys. Everything you saw in the news this week, it fits perfectly with this passage and that passage, and we're all very much comforted by that. But every generation has done that, and every generation has been wrong. You know, there are still people who are claiming to know the, the general range when Jesus is returning. And when they get it wrong, because they've gotten it wrong so many times... Why do people still follow these individuals? It's because we're so desperate for those answers and that certainty that we'll find a way to go, eh, yeah, maybe you'll get it next time. Jesus doesn't want us to have all those answers because he doesn't want us to just trust in those answers. He doesn't want us to just trust in these figureheads. 
He wants to lead us to trust and faith in him. And Jesus, unlike cult leaders and cults, he's not creating this us versus them mentality all the time in us. Do you understand? Jesus is always calling us, his disciples, to minister to them. He's always calling us to love them. He's not constantly identifying new groups of people that are our enemies. What is he doing in the Sermon on the Mount? He actually says, I want you to take all these enemies and treat them like they're your friends. I mean, just think of that. Anytime you're hearing one of these messages, an us versus them message, the Christian church against, realize, hey, wait, the voice of Jesus is going to send me to them, to minister to them. You see, Jesus, his voice is our good shepherd. He doesn't instill this paranoia in us that all these forces are out to get us, that we have to be very anxious about what might happen. Jesus gives us that impenetrable confidence that no matter what happens in the times in which we're living, we know how it's all going to turn out. We know the eternal victory of Jesus, and so we have no fear in our present circumstances, whatever's going to happen in the next year, whatever's going to happen in the next five years. We're not, you know, thinking constantly about the spiritual forces of evil and how they might influence us as much as we're going, man, we're filled with the very presence of God, the Holy Spirit of God, so we don't fear the influence of evil in our lives. See, Jesus isn't cloistering us off in our own little safe corner, separate from everybody else, all enlightened and prideful and self-righteous. He's sending us out into the world as humble servants. So be on guard. Be careful. Reject the yeast, the false teachings of our day, and be so filled with Jesus that all those gaps in your heart and all those spaces in your heart and all those questions and those concerns and anxieties are being met in him so that you don't need to be filled with anything else. As I step back and consider the context of this passage, I think, man, we have so much in common with the disciples. We're like them because like them, we're often focused on all the practical and circumstantial concerns, the surface of life. You know, they're, they're going away from that scene thinking about they don't have any food. They forgot the food and Jesus is upset about the food. You know, and that's what we do in our lives a lot of times. We're thinking about all the aspects of our life. What is going to happen with this? What is going to happen with that? What if this? What if that? With our personal life, with our family, with our job, with our nation, all these practical concerns on and on and on. And Jesus says, do you not understand? He says that twice in this passage. Do you still not understand? I make bread appear out of thin air. I make bread appear out of thin air, guys. I make streams of water come out of the desert. You got all these practical concerns. You're so worried about bread. I make bread all the time. I handle this. All your practical worries and concerns, all the circumstantial fears you have about this world, I am handling this. I will handle this. I have got this. I have carried dozens of generations of Christians through their fears and anxieties and their absolute certainty that the world was going to end tomorrow. I've been through this before. 
I've carried those fears. I've carried those worries, and I can carry them all over again and again and again for you. So if you're going to spend your life and you're going to spend your energy and all those internal resources dwelling on all these practical and circumstantial stuff, set that aside because you need to spare that energy and you need to spare all that internal resources that you have to do this. Guard your heart. That's where all your energy has to go. That's where you should be turning your attention and focus. Guard your heart. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. So many things can fill your heart and mind. All these practical concerns and worries, all these circumstantial fears. Don't waste your energy on it. God is sovereign. He's powerful. What we got to worry ourselves with, what we got to concern ourselves with is our heart, the condition of our heart. Everything flows from it. Along these lines of guarding our heart, I want to finish with just a couple pastoral applications for you. Because he says, be careful. He says, be on guard. There's this idea of guarding our heart. What does that actually mean in practice? And this isn't an all-inclusive list, but I want to give you a little bit of direction before we finish. Number one, I want you to guard your heart by rejecting false prophets. How do you determine false prophecy and false prophets? I'm going to give you a simple rule of thumb here from Deuteronomy chapter 18, starting in verse 21. You may say to yourselves, how can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? If what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. (laughs) The prophet has spoken presumptuously, so do not be alarmed. Be on your guard against false prophecy. And here's your test. Did it come true? If it didn't come true, it wasn't from God. Because God isn't confused about what's happening next. He knows. So somebody stands up there and goes, ah, God has spoken to me. This is what's going to happen. And it doesn't come to pass. Stop listening to that person. I can't tell you how many prophecies there were over the last couple of years, how many of these certainties there were that were proclaimed, this is going to happen on this date, and that's going to happen on this date. And it's fine. You, you absorb some of that stuff, and then it doesn't happen. And then people keep believing in it. People keep listening to these spiritual leaders. Really? I mean, that is our drive in our humanity for those absolute answers and certainties at any cost. We'll believe lies. God says, I don't get it wrong. If they got it wrong, they got it wrong. Take that person from like the ultimate seat of influence in your life. Knock them down just a few notches, please. Because they're not speaking from me. If it doesn't come to pass, stop listening to it. Oh, but there's a rationalization. There's a way it might actually, if we just wind around. It's false. It's false. Don't receive false prophecy. Guard your heart by rejecting the influence of those who reject Jesus. 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many, there's a lot of false prophets that have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. 
This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. So if they reject Jesus, why am I receiving all of their influence and teaching? I've already established that Jesus is the Lord and Master. I've already believed that he's the Son of God. I am trusting in him. So when I hear another set of ideas, I'm not hiding away from all the ideas in the world, but when I hear the ideas of somebody else and they're not affirming of Jesus, I don't read it and go, oh, wow, this is really a challenge to my faith. Therefore, I've got to really wrestle with this. Jesus, do you have a response for this? It's, it's like I can filter that and say, that's not even on the same level. I sought the sun and there were signs, right? There were signs, you know, clarifying signs, affirming signs. I know who Jesus is in my life. So why would I give so much influence and so much time and so much energy and space in my heart to somebody who doesn't affirm the vision of the kingdom of God, the vision of what humanity is supposed to look like? Guard your heart by rejecting the influence of those who reject Jesus. But remember, not everybody who affirms Jesus is someone you can listen to. It's not a blank check to just listen to him. Guard your heart by observing people's actions. Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 and 16, Jesus says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you declaring they're false prophets. Is that how they come to us? I'm false. Don't believe anything I say. Is that how they come to us? They come to us in sheep's clothing. They look like they're living for our benefit. They're working for us, right? But inwardly, they are ferocious wolves. So he says, check out their works. Check out the fruit of their life. A good tree can't produce bad fruit. That bad fruit is going to be akin to the ferocity of this wolf that's inside of them. What does a wolf do, a ferocious wolf do? They devour. They're acquiring. They're taking. That's going to look like power. That's going to look like lying. Lying at any cause. You say, oh, it's for a good cause. If they're lying, they're lying. It's bad fruit. That's a wolf. You know, somebody who's seeking money and they're vain, somebody who's, you know, seeking sex. Jim Jones, he was doing all these drugs. He's sleeping with all these people. He's threatening them physically. There were signs. There's bad fruit. Oh, he was doing this altruistic stuff on the side. You'll know them by their fruit. He was a ferocious wolf. And he devoured 900 people. I'm saying that's an extreme example, but there are others. And you can keep dismissing those signs. Don't dismiss those signs. You'll know them by their fruit. Finally, guard your heart by listening to Jesus. John chapter 10, verse 27. Jesus says, my sheep listen to my voice. Are you listening to the voice of Jesus as much as you're listening to all the other voices? You're listening to all these other avenues. Are you listening to Jesus? I know them, Jesus says, and they follow me. The best way that we can defend against false teaching, the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees, this overly rational mindset, the self-righteousness, all these other pitfalls that exist today is by listening to Jesus and having him fill by his Holy Spirit all those gaps and spaces and questions and concerns in our hearts and minds so that no one else can take those places because we're listening to the voice of Jesus. We need to guard our hearts. We need to be careful. We need to be on guard. Because the heart, everything flows out of it. Let's ask for the Lord to, to cleanse our hearts, to fill our hearts, to defend our hearts together this morning. Would you pray with me? 
Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that you invite us into this journey of faith and trust, that, that you don't give us all the answers. We just take the answers and we'd run, and we'd be on our own, and we wouldn't learn a thing about what it is to love you, to be who you made us to be, dependent on you, your creation. So Jesus, I thank you for this winding, sometimes frightening journey of faith that we're all on, but we trust you. You're the good shepherd. You hold the keys to the kingdom of God. You have all authority. We're grateful, God, because we know that you can make bread appear out of thin air. You can make streams of water come out of the desert. We don't have to spend all our energy and time thinking about all these practical worries and concerns. You've got it handled. You can handle it. You've always handled it. And Jesus, you're going to bring it all to completion and and so we want that impenetrable confidence, not in ourselves, not because we know what's going to happen before it happens, but because we know you. That's what gives us confidence. We're yours, and we know you. So, Lord, instill that confidence in my brothers and sisters this morning. Thank you, Jesus, that you're anything but a ferocious wolf. You're one who laid down your life for those who are even your enemies. Jesus, I pray that you would remove any of those outside voices and influences, that you just drain it out of our hearts. There may be those gaps, there may be those spaces and questions and concerns that are being filled with these outside voices. They're not of you. They don't speak like you. They don't speak in your name. They don't come true, what they say. They're confusing our mission. They're confusing the vision of your kingdom. Remove those voices. Eliminate them entirely, Jesus. We don't need them because we have you. Jesus, fill those spaces by your Holy Spirit. Would we be listening to your voice above all the other voices that exist today? We're not worried about the path that that's going to lead us down. It's not a path of destruction. It's a path of life and peace, the fruit of the Spirit. We know what you're instilling in us. It's good. Thanks so much for listening to the Branches HB podcast. For more information on Branches, you can visit our website at brancheshb.com or stay up to date with us on Instagram at brancheshb. As always, we'd love to have you at one of our Sunday gatherings. So come visit us at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m. Locations are available on our website. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.